All right, today as we jump back into family in the roaring 20s, let me catch everyone up just in case we miss a week here or there. When it comes to family, there's an ideal and there's a real. There's our real and there's ideal. There's real and there's ideal. There's what we know family should be and there's what we know family is. There's what we know, there's as Jesus followers, there's what we believe God wants family to be. And then there's our reality. And then there's our reality. So we live, our, we find ourselves when it comes to family, when it comes to so many areas of life, living with the tension between our, our God's ideal and our real. And so we face attention. We all face attention. Either we hold to the ideal so tightly that we reject and diminish and judge the real and we load people up with a load of guilt because after all, they couldn't live up to the ideal when, by the way, we haven't lived up to the ideal either. Or, or more likely, we abandon the ideal. We push out the ideal. It's unrealistic anyway. We push out and abandon the ideal so that we can feel better about our real. And here's what we said we're going to do as, as we talked about the, in, in the beginning of this series. Here's what we said we're going to do. We're going to resist both of those urges. We're going to resist both of those temptations and we're going to simply embrace the tension. We're going to embrace the tension. We're going to hold up an ideal while having grace for a real. We're going to strive towards an ideal while experiencing God's grace for our reality. Now today, Moving into, into today's new content, I want to read a very short verse from the book of Proverbs. It's a very simple verse, but an incredibly powerful verse. This is something that I must have read a billion times over the course of my lifetime, but I just, like, it, it came blasting at me about three months ago. This is an incredibly, incredibly powerful verse because the way this plays out in family dynamics and in learning to understand each other so that we can love and serve one another in the course of family is incredibly important. In fact, I dare say this verse and the concept that's going to flow out of it today has been one of the most helpful ideas that I have ever heard in regards to parenting and an incredibly freeing concept in regards to marriage. Here is the verse from Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18. It says this, discipline your son while there is hope. Don't set your heart on being the cause of his death. Let me read that one more time. Discipline your son while there is hope. Don't set your heart on being the cause of his death. That's pretty encouraging, isn't it? That's a pretty encouraging verse. Anyone memorize that when you were growing up at some point along the way? No, none of us did that. It's easy to overlook that little, that little nugget in the middle of Proverbs because let's be honest, it kind of sounds, a, a, it, it's not a very encouraging verse. It doesn't sound very encouraging. It sounds a lot more like a warning, if we're being honest. It's got a little bit of that warning vibe, but that warning is the very reason we should actually pay attention to it. And more specifically, pay attention to what came before it. Let me read it one more time. Discipline your son while there is hope. Don't set your heart on being the cause of his death. Now let's zoom in on that word while. While is the key to understanding this verse. Solomon essentially writes that for those of us who are parents, there are things that our children need from us at certain points. And if we don't provide at the point when they at, provide it at the point when they need it and can naturally receive it from us, our sons and daughters move along into the next season of life, ill-equipped for the next season of life. For Solomon, he specifically points to discipline, meaning correction, meaning consequences. Discipline, as we'll talk about in a little bit, is most, is, is most easily established by parents and received as children 
early on in life, early on in life. In other words, what Solomon points to is the idea that there is a season and a stage and a phase of life in which discipline has to be established for a child, has to be doled out to a child, has to happen in order for a child to be adequately prepared for their next stage of life. And the warning that Solomon gives is that if you're unwilling to discipline your child during this season that they are most able to learn and receive it, your child will reap the consequences of your lack of discipline for them. Solomon ominously warns, you will be the cause of their death. You will be the cause of their death. Encouraging, right? Aren't you glad you came to church? Like, aren't you glad you tuned in this morning for this encouraging word from the Lord? Like, like aren't you glad you just... Don't you just feel warm fuzzies all over that like, yay, what an encouraging word. No, this sounds pretty serious, right? This sounds like a pretty serious thing. And this is a pretty serious thing. This matters. And because Solomon mentions discipline and we've unpacked it a little bit here, it sounds like we might be about to talk about discipline for an entire day and we're not going to do that. It might sound like we're about to talk about the value of spanking or not spanking, like have that debate. And we're not going to do that. By the way, I think it's really weird when churches and pastors spend a whole day talking about spanking children. That's a really odd like side topic anyway. That's not what we're going to talk about. Today, we're going to talk about the underlying principle behind the idea, discipline your children while there is hope. While there is hope. And here's the underlying principle. Here's the underlying idea. Life has phases and life has seasons. Life has phases and life has seasons. Life has phases and life has seasons. And you're thinking like, is that really the entire idea for today? Yes. This is an incredibly important idea in the context of family, that family has phases and family has seasons. Singleness has phases and singleness has seasons. Marriage has phases. Marriage has seasons. Parenting has phases. Parenting has seasons. So let's all say this together. Let's all maybe type this in the comment bar if you're watching online. It's just a phase. It's just a phase. Like wherever we we are right now, it's just a phase. Like whatever season we're in right now, whatever stage we're in right now, whatever phase we're in right now, it's just a phase. It's just a phase. It's just a phase. Let me, to, help us, to help us understand what this looks like in a way that, 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 that this really, really helps us kind of get in the right mindset to understand this and to help our single people out understand something that maybe as single people, some of you have come to understand this. Some of you will come to understand this. But let me help you out in, in understanding what this can look like. Single looks different at different stages of life. Single at 20 in college while you're being supported by your parents, looks different than single at 25 when you're out of college and you're in your first job and you're no longer being financially supported by your parents. Like, like I think everyone can understand that there would be differences there. When you're 20 and you're in college and you're being supported financially by your parents, you are around, like you have tons of peers around you, tons of potential friends around you all the time, tons of potential dates if you're looking at around you all at, at, at all the all points, and you have financial support from your parents. One, when you're 25 and you're working your first job, chances are you're going to be surrounded by all kinds of different age groups. There's not going to be an immediate peer group, and you're not going to have nearly as many dating options around you all the time at 25. Now, some of you who are at 25 right now, you're going, oh my goodness, you just explained why I feel so weird. Why I feel like why it feels like like things have dramatically changed. It's yes, because you're in a different stage, in a different season, a different phase 
of life. Single at 30, when you've moved away from your college town and you're working your career job, if you're single at that point, it looks a lot different at that point as well. Single at 45 after a divorce, single again after a divorce looks a lot different than single at 20. And for some of you, if you if, if this is you, the reason that singleness feels so odd at 45 coming off of a divorce is you're trying to approach, if you're trying to approach single at 45 after a divorce, like you approach singleness at 20, it's different and you can't approach it in the same way. Singleness looks different at different phases and different stages and different seasons of life. Singleness is not just a category. It changes as life goes on. And in the same way, just like singleness has different stages and phases, marriage and parenting have stages and phases. And so today, what I want to do is I want to get incredibly, incredibly, incredibly practical as we talk about these phases and stages of family life, because it's just a phase and you don't want to miss it. And you don't want to miss what's most important in the phase that you're living in now so that you don't miss what's important in the phase that you will move toward in the future. Let's look at parenting first. Let's look at parenting first. We're going to put up a graphic on the screen right now to talk about what family stages look like, what parenting stages look like. In the parenting stages, this is based on the ages of your child. From birth to one, you're in a connecting phase. You're in a connection phase. From ages one to five, you're in a discipline phase. Your children are in a discipline phase where what they need from you most is discipline. From ages six to 12, what your children need from you most is training. From age 13 to 18, what your kids need from you most is coaching. You enter into a coaching phase. And age 18 and up, that's where you get into what we would call a lifelong friendship stage. Now, we're going to spend the next few minutes unpacking what this looks like as parents working to raise children. The very first phase is the connection stage. This is the infant stage. This is where your baby needs to know that you are there for them and that you are there with them. Now, a lot of us don't think of this stage as connection. We think of it as maintenance, right? It's maintenance. It's wiping, it's, it's, it's changing diapers. It's wiping booties. It's, it's, you know, making bottles and feeding them bottles and, and, and holding them and, and making sure they're down for their nap at the right time and picking them up when they, when they, when they fall or when something falls on them. Like it's just maintenance, maintenance, maintenance. But when your baby feels like their needs are met, they're clean, they're fed, they're held. If they fall, you come quickly and you come supportively. That you are, they know that you are available. They know that you are a source of safety and a source of provision. That's a big deal. Your maintenance, taking care of the maintenance, establishes connection. It establishes a connection. That's a big deal. And that connection makes the next stage possible, which is the discipline stage. This is the stage that none of us particularly like. This is the stage that all of us would rather enjoy. This is what I talked about earlier, though, that Solomon said there's a time and a space in life where if we discipline well, it sets a course for the re- a good course for the rest of life. And if we miss it while, like, while there is hope, it sets a bad course for our child the rest of the life. This is the stage of life where they need to listen and obey. They need to listen and obey. And they need to listen and obey because let's be honest, at that stage of life, 
Toddlers are known to make really bad decisions when they, make bad, when they make decisions on their own. I mean, they could walk into the street and get hit by a car. They could fall off a couch and hit their head. They could play with fire on a stove and burn themselves. In one sense, there are very real consequences if they don't listen and obey. In another sense, there's, this is the best time to teach your kids discipline because this is a great time to teach about kids about consequences because the stakes are relatively low in a lot of ways that matter relationally and from a maturity standpoint. The goal during this stage is to help them understand that there are consequences for their behaviors. And because the natural consequences are fairly low, you have to be the source of consequences because the natural consequences for their behaviors outside of running into traffic and, you know, fire on the stove and all that kind of stuff, outside of those, because the, con the natural consequences are fairly small and fairly low, you as the parent have to be the source of consequences. They need immediate consequences. This can be timeouts. This can be a toy taken away or something that they love being taken away. This can be losing privileges. This should depend on your child because every child has something different that will get their attention and cause them to sit up and go, oh, this is a consequence. This is a consequence. This should be, this should depend on your child. And chances are, if you have multiple children, each child will have a different thing that will grab their attention in a special way. I remember my sister talking about this, that her oldest, it was if you take something away, her net, her second born, if you put him in a timeout where he can't, where he can't talk, it's just like, it's a very, very different natural per personality between the two children, very different ways to get their attention when it came to consequences. This is going to be true in most families where there are multiple children. Different personalities need different consequences to really grab their attention and help them understand consequences for their actions. And if you're a parent paying attention, you know what will get your child's attention. For us in this in this phase, we heard someone a while ago. I, I remember some of you who've been around the church a while, you'll make fun of me for this. But I remember watching a 12-minute video on parenting. And I've talked about this, that I became an expert because of a 12-minute video. But I remember in this 12-minute video, there was something that was mentioned that I remember saying to Jill and Jill, I, we need to watch this together because I think this is going to be like a pretty big deal. I think this is something that we should pay attention to. I think this is going to be something that we're going to have to dial up. I remember, I remember them talking about three things that they focus on during this phase when it comes to discipline, when it comes to, to consequences, that there may not be a natural consequence, so we have to provide the consequence. It was the three Ds of discipline. In other words, three things that we automatically discipline, that we automatically have consequences for in our house. The three Ds of discipline are disobedience, dishonesty, and disrespect. Disobedience, dishonesty, and disrespect. These are the three, three things that we automatically jump on in our house disobedience, dishonesty, and disrespect. If we tell our girls not to do something and they do it, or if we tell them not to do something and they turn around and do it, it's a, it's a, it's a very clear disrespect or disobedience. Or if it's something that they have been told multiple times in the past and they know not to do it and they do it anyway, this is something we jump on really quickly. Immediate consequences and automatic consequences. Automatic consequences. If, they, if they're being dishonest, which by the way, our two-year-old hasn't really figured out yet. Our four-year-old has figured out in some pretty big ways. If they're being dishonest, we jump on that right away. We automatic discipline. If they're being disrespectful, automatic. And this is something that as a child is growing it through this stage from one to four, disrespect early on, it's like, every, you know, by the way, everything feels kind of disrespectful, right? 
but very little of it actually is. But by the time you get to three and four and five, you're starting to see disrespect and they might not even really know what it means, but the way they talk to people, the way they talk to people when they're being disciplined, the way they receive a no when they want a yes, if they're being disrespectful, we have we, we, we automatically discipline that. We have automatic consequences for that. So we want to make sure that they understand that there are consequences for disobedience. There are consequences for dishonesty. There are consequences for disrespect. And because the natural consequences from those will be would be very low right now, we actually have to come in and be the consequence and bring the consequences for them. So that's the discipline phase. We bring consequences. We help them understand the consequences for their actions by sometimes being and bringing the consequences for their actions. After, after five years old, from six to 12 years old, we move into what we'd call the training stage. The training stage. The training stage. In the training stage, you're helping them understand the why behind the what. In this phase, your goal is to help them identify right from wrong, identify right from wrong. In the previous phase, you're making almost every decision for them. In this phase, you're allowing them to make more and more and more decisions with you as a guide. In other words, the goal here is you're helping them to develop a thought process. You're helping them to develop a thought process that recognizes right from wrong, that understands why as well as, as well as what. You're helping them to make wise decisions with you as a voice of conscience on the outside. They are more and more in this age developing the ability to reason during this stage, which is why you can do more explaining during this stage. In the, in the discipline stage, you're simply going, this is what we're going to do. In the, in the training stage, you're, you can go, this is what we're going to do. And when they say why, you can have a conversation more and more and more as they grow about why we make the decisions that we make. And as you explain, here's the goal. Your explaining should help in training their minds to make better decisions. Your explaining should help in training their minds to make better decisions. Teachable moments often happen here in this stage. Where, 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 where they experience something and they start to feel a little bit of some natural consequences where maybe they are, are dishonest and someone responds to their dishonesty and they're caught in it. And you have the opportunity as a parent to have a teachable moment and to say, well, this is why we've always said that it's important to tell the truth, to always tell the truth because, uh, because a lie breaks trust. And when trust breaks down, a relationship is hurt. This is our opportunity to have teachable moments to say, well, this is why we've always said, or this is why we say that we should never, or this is why we've always talked about as a family that we should do this and, and all this kind of stuff. These are moments to have teachable moments. In the training stage is the best moment as a parent to your child to have teachable moments. From the, from the training stage, we move on into the, into the coaching stage. From 12 to 18 years old, we're in, we're in, we're in the coaching stage. And we're sta- in, in the coaching stage, we're standing on the sidelines. They are on the field. And by the way, if you've been a very involved parent, if you've been a really good involved parent, this is the phase of parenting that actually can be sometimes the most difficult. To take your hands off and be on the sidelines watching them on 
the playing field. Now, sometimes you have to yank them off the field, right? Like you still got to sometimes yank them off the field. What I don't want anyone here listening to, to hear this morning is that discipline only happens in the discipline phase. No, discipline happens across, is, should happen across, but it has to be instilled in, in, in one phase in order for it to work across the other phase. So you, sometimes as a coach, you got to yank them off the field. You yank them off the field with purpose to have a conversation, to talk about what's going on, to, to, to temporarily remove them from the playing field until they're ready to go back because an, in, you know, an injury happened or something like that. Like this is sometimes you got to yank them off. Another, another thing that I think is really important in this phase is to elevate the value and the voices of other coaches and other voices. In other words, raise the value and intentionally expose your kids to voices and influence that share the same values as you that will echo the same things that you would say, but they won't come from mom and dad, right? Like this is one of the biggest reasons that middle school and high school ministry is so, so, so important. It provides a special place. It provides a dedicated place and space for these kind of voices to speak into your child's life and brain and situations regularly. Now, during the coaching years, during the coaching years, you want to keep kids talking. You want to keep kids talking either to you or to someone else that you trust because coaching happens in conversations. Coaching happens in conversations. So the number one rule that you want to have as a parent here, don't freak out. You're like, wait a minute. What if they tell me something that I should freak out about? Don't freak out. Keep the poker face. This is the number one thing that we would tell our small group leaders when I was a youth pastor. Like, hey, teenagers are going to say some things that are shocking to you. If, if, if you have a strong enough relationship, they will say some things to you that will, that will seem shocking in a moment. And if you respond badly, it'll shut down the conversation and they'll never bring that up again. You, it's better for them to keep bringing it up than for them to experience it in silence and have to figure it out with other people their own age who are going through the same thing and have no moral compass. This better for you for you to keep the, you know, freak out on the inside. Don't freak out on your face and don't freak out on them. Your goal is to keep them talking because coaching happens in conversations. Coaching is most often asking questions and helping them clarify, helping them clarify. So you do everything you can to keep them talking. And by the way, Teachable moments in this moment don't. No, in, in this stage of life, teachable moments happen less and less and less. If you try to turn a conversation into a teachable moment, you will shut down your child and you'll lose the moment and you'll lose the conversation and it may never come back. Your opportunity is to ask questions and to clarify and to make sure that your questions don't come across as judgmental, to keep your child talking because coaching happens in conversations. Coaching happens in conversations. And then finally, at 18 years old, or when your child enters into adulthood, you enter the friendship stage. You enter the friendship stage. See, here's the goal. The goal of parenting and the goal that I think we all set out with is that you want children who want to be with you and with each other when they no longer have to be with each other and they no longer have to be with you. And here's the thing. If you have perfectly behaved children who don't want to be with you when they no longer have to, that's not a win. It will feel like a win when they're perfectly behaved children. It will not feel like a win when they're 18 and they no longer come home. If you have perfectly behaved children who, who won't leave, who won't leave when it's time for them to leave, that's not really a win either. 
And so at every stage of development, you discipline and you train and you coach with that goal in mind that at the end of the day, you want a relationship when they're old enough to choose to have a relationship or not. Now, here's the thing on this front. You want to do what Solomon says as a parent. You want to meet the need and fulfill your role for your child while they're in that stage. And unfortunately, what a lot of parents try to do is focus solely on being friends with their kids while their kids are kids. And then they end up with middle schoolers and high schoolers who don't understand right and wrong and don't know how to deal with consequences of their actions. And then the parents try to jump in and start disciplining when they realize there's a problem. When they realize there's a problem. I saw this so often as a youth pastor, parents who had focused so hard on being a friend that they never disciplined their children, and then they tried to start disciplining when they should be coaching. And let me tell you the number one thing that I saw, that I saw happen here. The best way to ensure that your kids don't and won't want to be with you when they, and, and around you when they no longer have to is to try to begin disciplining at this stage of life try to begin, be the disciplinarian, try to jump in as the disciplinarian during the coaching stage. It is too late at that point, and it often destroys the dynamics of the relationship. And if that sounds unfair there, it's unfair, but so is life. And unfortunately, for the relationship to continue, you may not be able to jump in with discipline. Life may have to teach your child something about discipline at that point because it is unlikely they will learn it from you. And you will try to jump in with discipline and you will not discipline, your, your, you, you will not help your child understand discipline because they can't learn it from you at that point. And in trying to do it, you, will, you may end up destroying the very relationship that you're trying to save. You may need to let life teach your children something about discipline if you wait till that point in order to save your relationship. Now, getting each stage right at the right time, at the right time is the best way, is the best way to help your child and help you as a parent in the next stage. As far as parenting, this works like a timer. This works like a timer. If you don't do for your children what is needed in their stages, they move on to the next stage without the very things they need in order to be prepared for success in that next stage. It's just a phase. It's just a phase. It doesn't last forever. So don't miss it. Don't miss out on connection while your, child is in, while your child is an infant. Don't miss out on discipline while your child is a toddler. Don't miss out on training while your child is in elementary school. And don't miss out on coaching while your child is in middle and high school. Because if you miss out, you may not get the friendship that you want when they, are no, longer have, when they no longer have to be around you. They may choose not to be around you. You can choose well so that you set your child up for success at every stage of life. It's just a phase, so don't miss it. And don't miss what's most important for your child in the phase and stage that they are in. Now, we talked about parenting. Let's talk about for, for a second about, about marriage. It's really easy to recognize the stages of parenting because so often they really do line up well with, with ages and with ages of, of children. Not as many people readily recognize stages in marriage because they don't line up neatly along years and things like that, but they exist for sure. There are five stages 
of marriage. Let me, let me put something up on the screen. We're going to talk about these and we're going to break them down here in a second. There's the passion stage, which often is the first year or two of marriage. The second phase is called struggle, which we're all excited about. It should ex excite all of us. It's the struggle phase. Often it can go from year two to maybe year 10. Then we reach what we call the stability stage, which is a lot of times it's maybe year eight to 10 to, to 11 to, to maybe fit year 15 of marriage. There's the stage called growing intentionally, which often happens in between year 15 and year 20. And then there's the phase that we would call thriving, which often is years 20 and on, is years 20 on. So let me, let me break these down for us, for us real quick as we talk about this. The passion phase. This is the honeymoon phase. This is the honeymoon phase. This is the best phase, right? This is the best phase. In this stage, newness keeps our focus on pleasing our spouse. So we serve well. We're the most selfless. We take interest in things that don't interest us at all. It's amazing. And it works until we stop working at it. It works until we stop working at it. And when we stop working at it, we enter into the struggle phase. This is why it can be anywhere from year one to year two to year three. Like, as long as you keep working for it, you might stay in that passion phase, but eventually chances are you'll stop working as hard as you did. You'll stop serving as hard as you did. You'll stop focusing on the interests of the other person as much as you did, and you may enter into a struggle phase. In the struggle phase, this is a phase some people never leave this stage. Some people never leave this phase. Some people never figure it out. And some people figure it out much quicker. This is the struggle phase. It's no longer new. And all of our individual selfishness and our bad habits tend to come roaring out. Communication is hard. Small things spark big arguments. There's never enough time for just the two of you to really connect. It's a struggle and the struggle is real. It's the struggle and the struggle is real. Some of you know exactly what this stage looks like because you're in the middle of it right now. You didn't have language for it. You just knew it's, it's, it feels like a struggle. It's the, it's the struggle stage of marriage. It's the struggle phase of marriage. Again, some people never get out of this. Some people get out of this fairly quickly. This is why it can be a broad range on, on these phases of marriage. After the struggle phase, we often move, to, if, if we move out of it, we move out of it to something that we would maybe call stability. Stability is where things are fine, but they're mostly kind of like a tolerable existence. It's peaceful, but no one is particularly crazy excited about the way things are either. You made it this far. I mean, it's not like you're going to blow things up and start over, but things aren't exactly great, but they're not struggling as much as you used to struggle. You're not fighting as much as you used to struggle. It's more peaceful but you're not necessarily crazy about how things are going. From there, we often move into what we call the growing intentionally stage. This is where a couple makes a choice that it is a non-negotiable to invest in their marriage. Now, it ends up being characterized by rhythm, by, a, by a regu regular date nights, by regular retreat times, by regular vacations, by things like that. They're learning to love each other all over again. And in the thriving phase, this is the people who have been married long enough that they have been through the different phases. They have come out on the other side of it, and they are a walking billboard for marriage. They are thriving. These are the couples who trick people into thinking that marriage is easy because for them, it looks easy that after they have been through the battles, after they've been through the struggles, after they've been through this, if they decided to grow intentionally, they come out on the other side looking like marriage is fairly easy. Now this looks a little bit, works a little bit differently from the parenting phases. 
This works a little bit differently from the parenting phases, where the parenting phases have a ticking clock, and eventually your child graduates to a next stage, whether they're ready or not. In marriage, you don't just graduate to a new stage at a certain point or at a certain number of years. In marriage, you graduate when you pass the class. Now, I'm going to say that one more time really slowly. In marriage, you graduate when you pass the class. You move to a new level when you solve the problem of the current level. This is video game 101. You don't get to go to the next level until you win the previous level. You don't get to go to the next level until you win the previous level. And so here's the thing that I want to say to those of us who are married and those of us who are trying to figure out stages and phases of life. We may find ourselves in a struggle or a stability phase or find ourselves in a honeymoon phase and we don't want to spend a lot of time in a struggle phase in the future. For those of us who are, who are trying to figure out how do, we, how do we move through marriage together, how do we figure some of these things out, here's the thing that I want to say to all of us today. To move to a new phase, you have to make a new choice. To move to a new phase, you have to make a new choice. Let me give you a couple examples. To move from struggle to stable, you have to choose peace over conflict. You have to choose peace over conflict. See, not every, you have to make a decision that not every fight is worth fighting. Not every fight is worth trying to win. You have to understand that sometimes you can win a fight and lose the person that you love. You can win a fight but lose a relationship. You have to make a decision to move from the struggle phase to the stability phase. You have to make a decision that not every fight is worth fighting. That sometimes it's worth losing the fight to win the person. To move from stable to growing, you have to choose the person over peace. See, you're in, you're in, that, you're in this you know, st stable phase where things aren't great and it's peaceful. And you think, well, if we try to actually grow, we might have to uncover some stuff that would up upset this peace. Well, at the end of the day, if you want to move from stable to growing, you have to make a decision to choose the person over peace. See, the uneasy peace you have is two people who are thinking, I still want to change you. I just have decided not to fight about it right now. To get to the growing phase, you have to choose the person all over again. Only this time, you choose to grow your relationship with them while knowing all the things that you already know about them, that for years you fought about trying to change them. And you choose, instead of trying to change them one more moment, you simply choose them. You choose them. You choose to grow with them. And you can't grow with them while you're trying to change them. To move from stability to growing, you have to choose the person over peace. And to move from growing to thriving, you choose to reap the benefits of your investment while continuing to invest. Warren, Beth, Warren Buffett once said this. He said, someone's sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. Thriving is the shade that you get to enjoy because you planted a tree of investing in the growth of your marriage. And you continue to invest while you enjoy the shade of the tree. See, marriage has phases. Parenting has phases. Life has phases. And in the marriage phase, in order to move to a new stage, you have to make a new choice. You have to make a new choice. Marriage has phases. Parenting has phases. Life has phases. Solomon once, Solomon said, discipline your son while there is hope. Don't set your heart on being the cause of his death. Parenting your child is hard, but it's just a phase. It's just a phase. And don't you miss it. 
And don't you miss it. And don't you miss out on the things that your child needs the most from you in this phase. It's just a phase, but don't you dare miss it. And don't you dare miss what's most important for your child. Be the parent who pays attention to the phase and the stages that your child is in so you can be the parent they need from you right now. Marriage is tough, but the season that you're in, it's just a phase. It's just a phase. And don't you dare settle there. And don't you dare settle there. You solve the problem of this phase and make a new choice so that you can move forward and grow together. And hey, you're never going to get it perfect. You're never going to get it perfect. But we strive toward an ideal while accepting God's grace and mercy for our real. And maybe, just maybe, understanding the phases, understanding the stages of life, understanding the seasons of life, and having grace Having, having, understanding what's the ideal and having grace for our real, maybe, just maybe, this is how our families come roaring back in the 2020s. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you're so good. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace for us. Thank you for this word from Solomon. And thank you for all of the stuff that pours out of it. God, thank you that there are people who have studied your word and have studied marriage and have studied parenting and studied stages and phases of life and have figured so much of this out. God, I pray that today we would accept the wisdom that, that comes from this. And God, we would, we would pay attention to the wisdom of it. We would, we would hold up the ideal of what is needed for our children and what's needed in our marriage at every stage and every phase of life. And God, help us to have courage to actually strive toward the ideal, to, be, to work to be the parent that our child needs in every stage and every phase of life, to be the husband and wife that our, that our spouse needs at every stage and phase of life. Help us to do that, Jesus. God, give us wisdom. Give us courage. And God, help us to strive towards your ideal while experiencing your grace for our real. God, help us to get better in the area of family and in the area of our family relationships, in the area of our parenting, in the area of our marriage, even in the, in the, in the areas of our singleness right now. God, help us to get better. Help us to trust you. Help us to follow you. Help us to live for you. Help us to love for you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.